Welcome to Jesus Unmasked, an invitation to join a search for the living Christ in scripture and our lives. I am Adam Erickson, writer at the Raven Review and pastor in the United Church of Christ. And I am Lindsay Paris Lopez, writer for the Raven Review, aspiring peacemaker and aspiring follower of Jesus. This is episode 20 for the fifth Sunday of Lent. In this episode, we discuss John chapter 11, verses 1 through 45. In Jesus Unmasked, we seek to remove the masks of exclusive theology and violent cultural lenses, which obscure the truth that Jesus is unconditional love. In the unmasked face of Jesus, there is hope, acceptance, and forgiveness that frees us from fear that we may live into our fullest selves as reflections of God's love. We explore scripture through the New Revised Standard Version, and we use the Common Lectionary. Hi, Lindsay. Hi, Adam. How are you doing? Doing all right. How are you? Yeah, I'm I'm doing fine. I'm doing well. Uh, what? What's going on in my life? My, my son is ending the basketball season this week weekend hallelujah thank the lord mm. it's been a long nice. season it's been long like why is it basketball season just tends to get longer and longer for middle school kids i don't know you don't have little kids who play basketball so you i do not appreciate what this weekend means to me <laughs> i appreciate it in the sense that i'm a parent of children with activities that can go on and on and on and it's always nice when there's something of a break. And... Yeah, that's like, it's been a fun season and I like basketball and I like watching his team play. And, uh, but I just, yeah, that's it. I just need a break. I just, I just need a break for a while. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. yeah, the parents need the break as much as the kids do. Oh, I think more than the kids do. He would just like to keep playing. And I'm like, just stop, <laughs> please make it stop. <laughs> anyway, so I'm looking forward to that. Anything happening in your life these days? My kids are doing well, and I'm really, really proud of them. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Well, that's, it's awesome to be proud of your kids. It's fantastic. Yes. You know what else is happening in your life? What else is happening in we my life? We have John chapter 11, verses 1 through 45 happening in your life right now. Yeah, whoever wrote the lectionary decided to just throw 45 verses at 45 it. verses at us. Well, it's Lent, and Lent means we're going to slog through it, I guess. It means that you have to go through the desert of 45 verses, only you don't have to, because I am going to summarize those 45 verses right now. Are you ready for this? I'm ready for this. All right, Jesus is hanging out in some town, and his friend Lazarus, like his best friend, is about to die because he's sick. And Lazarus's sister Mary comes, sends a note to Jesus and says, hey, man, uh, my brother is sick. Your best friend is sick. And Jesus is like, hey, it's all good because he's just ill, and it's not like he's going to die or anything, so it's okay, and I'm just going to stay here in this village. Well, it turns out that Lazarus does die, and Jesus probably knew that Lazarus was going to die, and he doesn't come to save Lazarus's life. And Jesus is like, that's okay, because this is all for God's will to be revealed through me. So he goes to Lazarus two days later, and Mary comes to him and says, dude, where were you? You could have saved his life, but you're a bad friend. And so 
why weren't you here? And Jesus is like, oh, I'm sorry. And then he goes to the tomb where Lazarus is and the Jews and Mary are all weeping. And Jesus, they're like, dude, what's up? And Jesus is like angry at them and disappointed and stuff. And he's like, Lazarus gets out and then Lazarus comes out. And then this, that's my summary. And then you should continue on because there are some of the Jewish authority who see this and they say, okay, now we're going to kill Jesus. Mm. So that is my summary of verses one through actually longer than 45. So this is an interesting story because in the other gospels, it seems as though the thing that leads to Jesus's death, like the, the final straw is Jesus going to the temple and basically shutting it down. In the Gospel of John, the thing that is the beginning of the end of Jesus's life, the thing that leads him to the cross, is Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. Wow, you did that summary. You did it quickly. You yeah, got... out a whole bunch of stuff <laughs> that is really great. It's like there's so much happening in this passage and beyond this passage that is so important but that's all the stuff that really uh stuck out to me i mean you've got friendship happening in this like what does it mean to be friends and when friends utterly disappoint you and how do you deal with that how do you manage that and when god disappoints you i mean i can't tell you for some reason like the last few months as a pastor how many people have come to me and said i've been praying to god for this to happen like somebody to get better and it doesn't happen. And so what do you do with that? What is the point of prayer if God isn't going to defeat the coronavirus or cure friends of the coronavirus? Uh, you know, this is all really real stuff. You know, we have, uh, unfortunately, it's affecting elderly people the most, right? Uh, and people who have, who are immunocompromised. Why doesn't God do something about that? Is Jesus like, in this story, he's just seems aloof in the beginning. And he's like, whatever, it's all for a greater good. And then he goes and he brings Lazarus back to life. Well, people are going to struggle with this and be like, why doesn't God just work the miracle in my life? So how do you deal with these really great miracle stories that I love, but are also setups, <laughs> mm -hmm. set people up for disappointment? Because is this really how prayer works? And what happens when prayer doesn't work this way? What happens when God doesn't show up? Wow, that that's that's really a lot to take in, particularly the way you highlight the the disappointment in God. And Jesus faces disappointment in himself when he comes too late after Lazarus has already died. And Martha says, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. So how do you deal with that kind of disappointment? In Martha's response, if you had been here, he would not have died, is a very understandable and very human response. Mm -hmm. it's, just, it's the response that we all have when a crisis happens in our lives, when a family member dies uh, early. Why did this happen? If God had been here, or if God was good, surely God would have prevented this from happening. And that's just a very natural human response. And I, it's also 
I want to be careful when I say this because I want to affirm that that's that's a natural response, but it's also a response of who are we going to blame for this thing to happen? Mm-hmm. Mary is get, getting caught up in the age-old trap of trying to blame someone for the reason that this horrible thing happened to her brother. And surely Jesus, God, you got to blame someone uh, when you're in this pattern. And Jesus is the one who gets blamed for this. And how do you, I think that's one of the things that Jesus gets upset about in this story is is this pattern of violence and blame in the Girardian lectionary uh, that Paul Nectarline has he has uh, he shows that Jesus weeps in this passage mm-hmm. or yes Lazarus right and yeah the Greek word here is dekruo which is only used once in the New Testament in this passage uh, Mary and the others who are weeping have a, it's a different word in Greek. It's kaleo, which is kaleo is the ancient ritual that you go through when somebody dies and mm-hmm. so the crowd begins to form and you have this ritual of, of weeping that's a catharsis during death. And as Rene Girard has taught us, often this catharsis, this this bringing together of a crowd of people is ripe for finding someone to blame and unite against uh, in this crisis situation, whether it's in response to somebody's death, it can, it can be in that response or response to, I don't know, whatever else, whenever a crowd forms, there's always this, this danger that that it'll unite against a common enemy. And I think that's why the rest of the verses are so important the crowd unites and some of them within the crowd go and tell other religious, the religious authorities that Jesus has done this miracle and now's the time they decide to kill him. Why? Because Jesus is upending the whole human systems that are based on death, right? Mm-hmm. The very beginning of human culture, Gerard teaches us that humans have united in a sacrificial death against another who was blamed. And that's what's happening in this passage. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus upends the, the culture of death by bringing Lazarus back to life. And that's what this miracle is about. It's not about, it's not primarily about bringing Lazarus back to life because Lazarus is going to die again someday, right? Uh, it's about transforming the way we relate to one another so that we move away from a culture that is based on sacrificing someone else, killing someone else so that we don't have to be sacrificed, (laughs) Uh, blaming someone else, going against, transforming that culture into a culture that is based on life and nonviolence. And that disrupts the status quo. And that's why they go after Jesus. Yeah, that's, that's a really really powerful perspective on on these verses. Jesus does weep and I've often thought that his weeping is because of his love for Lazarus and also because of his love for Mary and Martha. His his love is part of the healing power that ultimately resurrects Lazarus and brings him to life. And the full expression of that is 
includes the weeping. Even though Jesus is about to raise him from the dead, even though he knows he's about to just upend everyone's reality, and he's about to bring Lazarus back. Lazarus is about to come back, and it's going to be okay. And Jesus knows this, but he still weeps. And I do think part of it is because he is really grieving for the pain that Lazarus has suffered and for the pain and the fear that Mary and Martha have had, have gone through, you know, worrying that their, that their life is over, worrying that without their brother there to take care of them, they don't have means because they are women in a patriarchal society. And, you know, I, I've often thought that Jesus wept because of all of that real human pain and grief and that that was part of his expression of love. And I think that that's all true. But it's even deeper than that because, as, as you've pointed out, there are cycles of blame and the whole world is kind of trapped in this cycle of when bad things happen, we look to blame someone, and that just keeps cycles of violence going. And not just, not just direct violence, it certainly does that, but Jesus is weeping for a world that is trapped in cycles of death. And I've heard people say Jesus is weeping because people don't have faith in him. And I think that's just a very oversimplification. But if you want to say Jesus is weeping because people are trapped in a mindset of, I guess another way of saying faithlessness would be to say that we're trapped in a mindset of accusation and blame and projecting our pain over and over onto others. And it's hard to imagine what the world could be if instead of blame, we looked to compassion. And instead of anger and instead of accusation, we looked and tried to see how each other was hurting and tried to be in a kind of solidarity that could alleviate some of that pain. It's like Jesus is weeping because the world is trapped in a myth that he can see through, but he's weeping at the world's blindness when it comes to accusation. And maybe the reason he didn't go to Lazarus right away wasn't so Lazarus would die anyway and he could perform this miracle, but because terrible things do happen. And God doesn't come to the rescue every single time. And instead of saying, if you were here, you could have done something, we could be saying, we're here now. What can we do? Even if we can't stop what's going to happen, what can we do to alleviate the pain and be there for each other? That's really a deeper perspective than I had ever really even considered for this story but it's kind of what the whole gospel is about. It's not just about God coming to the rescue. It's about showing us how to relate to each other in a whole new compassionate way. I think that also what's happening and what strikes me about this is when Jesus says to Mary, well, Mary says, if you had been here, 
uh, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. So Mary, she starts off in this place of accusation. <laughs> like, where were you? Why weren't you here? But then she comes in the very next sentence to whatever, like this place of trust in mm -hmm. Jesus. Like, whatever you ask, uh, God will give you. And then Jesus responds to that by saying this really kind of mysterious phrase, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And that is like, I think that's part of, I think that's the big miracle, is not just bringing Lazarus back to life, but the whole miracle of what we're, what Lent is leading up to, which is, you know, Easter and resurrection, is this idea that, yes, people die horrible deaths at a young age, and it's horrible, it's tragic, but death doesn't have the last word. Mm -hmm. God's love has the last word. As Romans chapter 8 says, nothing in this life, not death, not life, not the powers of principalities, nothing in this world can separate us from the love of God. I think that's what Jesus is showing here, that mm. that how do we reorient ourselves so that we don't think that death, that Lazarus's death, that my death, that your death, that anybody's death has the last word, because God is a God that is fully alive. And even in our death, we are brought up into the fully aliveness of God. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, and so this whole pattern of getting scandalized by death is human. It's natural. And I don't want to say that people shouldn't grieve death. I will certainly grieve when people that I love die. But it's also not, not a stumbling block that should get in our way of, I don't know, uh, a relationship with, with God or that should bring us so low uh, because that death doesn't have the last word. No, death, death does not have the last word. And Jesus is teaching us to live as if death isn't the barrier that that it is but doesn't doesn't have to be like we can we can remember that we are connected beyond the end of everything we know in this life that there is more beyond all of that and and I don't know maybe Jesus sweeps partly because the sake of the world is trapped in cycles of accusation where this fear of death makes us so self-protective and and yes. that we that we really that we act out of out of defensiveness that keeps us from really fully connecting to each other in our full humanity and so so maybe he weeps partly for that but maybe he also maybe there's some joy mingled in there that Mary and Martha are beginning to trust and that some some people are beginning to trust. And I don't know, I'm thinking of the two days that Jesus takes before he starts his journey back, and it doesn't say what he's doing, but he's probably healing more people along the way. He's, you know, that's what he's always done. He's not just sitting there waiting for something so he can prove a miracle all along the way, wherever he is. He's helping people 
and bringing them into this relationship and he's breaking down the the barrier that death is he goes all the way here and brings someone back from the actual dead but every single healing is breaking off a piece of death and a piece of fear that really just circumscribes our lives so much and maybe he's weeping for joy that that barrier is being broken down even even as he he's mourning he's he's grieving the state of the world but he's also he's also trusting that things are getting better what do you make of doubting thomas being the one who says let us go that we may die with him thomas gets a bad rap uh but here he seems like faithful thomas <laughs> kind of but we may die with him is kind of scary words i mean they've just said to him hey, they just tried to kill you and now you're going back there. And Thomas is like, well, if we're going to die, we're going to die with Jesus. I mean, there's good and bad both in that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it could be that Thomas knows where this is leading and he trusts that death isn't going to have the last word. So he's not scandalized by death. And if this is going to lead to our death, then he trusts that there's a bigger picture going on beyond himself and his own death. And if that's the reason that he does it, that he says it, then I think that this is a moment where Thomas gets it, where Thomas is faithful Thomas and not doubting Thomas, right? But if he says, yeah, let's go down in a blaze of glory and get those jerks. And if we happen to die in the process, whatever, then, then he's a little stuck. <laughs> well, and he might not be saying that so much as it's hard to know how much faith he has. I like your first interpretation or your first possibility. Maybe that's the way we need to think, just trying to see the best in everything. It occurs to me that Thomas means twin, and that just kind of implies a duality, that it's probably both, that there's faith and doubt all mingled together in him, as right. in all of us. Right? Yes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, sometimes like in the I've heard some people preach it, and I think this is pretty effective. Lazarus comes out of the tomb. I've heard some sermons that kind of internalize this, invite people to internalize this. What is the tomb that is inside of your life or inside of you that Jesus is calling you to come out of? What are the places of death that's, that's, that are in your relationships or in your soul that are stopping you from truly coming alive to God and to loving your neighbors as you love yourselves, which is the whole point of this thing. Yeah. And how is it that Jesus is calling out to you in those tombs within us to come out? <laughs> like Jesus calls to Lazarus, come out of your tomb and come back to life. Uh, you know, there's, there's a sense in which we can uh, totally make this into a miracle about Lazarus. But what if it's a miracle about you? and the places of death that you have that Jesus is calling you to come out of. That's really powerful. There are definitely barriers that keep me from fully trusting and definitely barriers that keep me from being my fullest self. And they seem insurmountable so often. It, it just seems like it's ridiculous to even think that I could go beyond those barriers. 
And Jesus is calling me and all of us beyond the impossibilities that we think are holding us back. And that's that's actually kind of terrifying because it would be more comfortable to stay in the tomb sometimes. I mean, it's it's not a happy place, but it's it's what we know and it's what we have in so many ways resigned ourselves to. So there's there's personal and there's and there's definitely communal tombs as well, barriers that we think we cannot go beyond. And Jesus comes to us in those tombs and says, unbind yourself and go. And I think that's the whole season of Lent. It's this journey through the wilderness. And even in the wilderness, even in the tombs, God is present and inviting us to go beyond those places of wilderness and death as we journey together, which is going to lead us through Good Friday and into the good news of resurrection on Easter Sunday. So thanks, Lindsay, for this conversation. Thanks, Adam. Thank you. And thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, I am Adam. And I'm Lindsay. And that is all for this episode of Jesus Unmasked. Jesus Unmasked is produced by the Raven Foundation, where we talk about faith and mimetic theory. Check out more of our work at ravenfoundation.org. You can connect with Raven on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you liked this episode, feel free to share it with your friends or your enemies, because Jesus calls us to love them too.